HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This program is made possible thanks to the generosity of our listeners. Show your support at heritageradionetwork.org slash donate. Hello to everyone. I'm Louisa Kasdan, your host for Let's Talk About Food, a podcast devoted to first-person storytelling where food plays a pivotal, if not a starring role. Everyone has a food story. Food is at the heart of human connection, at the center of love, of ritual, of need and want, and most of all, food creates community. And community is what we crave. Lydia Shire is simply one of the country's leading chefs. Named to every high honor in the culinary world, including becoming the first female executive chef at a Four Seasons Hotel. She'll share her story about just how far a chef may have to go to get a recipe. Lydia was recorded in front of a live audience at WBUR's City Space in Boston in November of 2020. Let's have a listen. Thank you very much. Can you hear me? So I love to cook. I was always cooking. That was my entertainment when I had three children. That's what I would do. That would, you know, make me happy every day. And so my husband worked for a theater company, and I was cooking dinner for his secretary and her husband, Bob. So anyway, I was at the supermarket. We had a babysitter for the three children, and I'm going up and down the aisles in the supermarket with my husband. I'm thinking about this dinner I'm cooking the next night. And my husband said, Lydia, I have something to tell you. And I said, what? And he said to me, well, I'm leaving you. I'm in love with Jenny, his secretary. And just so you know, I have never loved you. So I looked at him and I said, oh, does that mean dinner's off? (laughs) And, And that is the truth because... It was, so I had to go and put everything back in the, you know, it was a crazy night. And that night, he moved down to the couch, and that was it. And I moved to my mother's house, and I got a job at Paul's Mall, the jazz workshop, and I became a cocktail waitress at night. And I decided I wanted to work in a restaurant. So Maison Robert was opening, And I said, all right, 
I'm going to nail this job no matter what it takes, you know, because I had no restaurant experience. So I had a book and it had a recipe for a seven layer, very thin layer cake with buttercream frosting, a real French buttercream frosting. So I thought I would go to my interview with a cake. (laughs) And it was in the summer. And this was in 1971. And I had to order an air-conditioned cab. And believe it or not, back then, there were some, but not all. So I did. I ordered an air-conditioned cab. But of course, when I made the buttercream, it curdled. I don't know who's made buttercream here before, but it's a tricky animal. And I curdled it, and I wasn't knowledgeable enough to put it back together again, so I had to make the whole thing over again. Of course, now I know how to put it back together. (laughs) So I made it there. The cake was beautiful. I walked into Maison Robert and handed it to Roger Martel, who is from Marseille in France. And he just looked at me, and he said, yeah, you have the job. (laughs) And, you know, I mean, I think... I think that should be a good lesson for many people. I think you have to stand out in some way. So anyway, I went to Maison Robert. It's then that I met Julia Child. I rose through the ranks and I became the chef of the fancy dining room. And Julia, she suggested that I go to the Harvest restaurant and be the chef. So she got me a job there. And um, I spent nine months there, and I failed. It was the first job that I ever failed. And that was because I let two cooks there get at me. They would make fun of me every day. They would say bad things. It was awful. And one day, I had had it. And I got in my boyfriend's car, and I said, I can't go back in there. I have to leave. I quit that day. But what happened is I found a new voice in myself, and to this day, it's not a problem. I simply tell people in a nice way if there's an issue, and um, we go on. But I suppose my message in this is that it's okay to fail. I mean, I surely did, but I kind of rose above that. Bebo was my first restaurant that I had ever opened, And I think we had the first true bar food menu. And I wanted to make scallion pancakes because there was this little dive restaurant in Boston, in Chinatown, and they made the best scallion pancakes. So my Chinese friend made an appointment for me to visit the chef who was from northern China to get the recipe. So I arrived at 12. And my girlfriend wasn't there, so I knocked on the door, and he let me in. And, you know, of course, I was just smiling because I couldn't converse with him. And right away, he came over to me, and he started putting his hands on me and trying to kiss me. And, you know, I keep looking out the door to see if Bick has arrived, you know, because I don't know what to do. This guy is pawing me. So I say to myself, I have to make a decision Do I want the recipe, (laughs) or do I care if he feels me up? So I said, okay, I don't care. I want the recipe. (laughs) 
So he was, you know, feeling me up, kissing me, smothering me. And I'm just standing there waiting for Bic to come. Finally, she came, so I was saved, but just barely. Um, so I can honestly say I love what I do, and I'm very fortunate that my youngest son, Alex, you know, he's in the restaurant business. He is the co-chef at Scampo. He's an amazing cook. And I just look forward to many years cooking, and especially cooking with him. This has been very fun. And uh, thank you for listening. Will Gilson is one of Boston's most beloved chefs. He's the owner of several popular restaurants and skilled at making people fall in love with his food. He will share his story about how risotto can lead to love. Will was recorded at City Winery in Boston in February of 2020. Let's have a listen. When I was 16, this is like the chef origin story that all of us have before you become a sort of tattooed, uh, bearded version of yourself to become so stereotypical. (laughs) But when I was 16, I fell in love with my career. And I think that I fell in love with my career because I was trying to fill the void of what had just crumbled around me, which was my parents' marriage. And so I was 16, and everybody in my family at that point was like, you should go to Italy with your grandparents. And I thought that was great. I was working in a restaurant in the North End at the time. It sort of seemed on brand, as they say these days. And I get there, unbeknownst to me, knowing that this was a ruse for my parents back home to take their marriage to DEFCON 4. Um, but despite you know all of that, um, I land in Italy, uh, meet my grandparents there, and get a whirlwind tour of four cities of Italy, from Venice to Bologna to Genoa down to Florence. And as a 16-year-old kid who's never left the country before, this is just mind-blowing to me. I'm being allowed to eat uh, these super sweet croissants called cornettos and this amazing rich hot chocolate that tastes like what I can only assume Augustus Gloop tasted just before he died in the river at Willy Wonka's Chocolate Factory. And this is how I start my day every single day when I'm with my grandparents in Italy. And so I'm, I'm doing this and uh, you know, get a chance to uh, try all these amazing dishes. And the one that really stuck with me the most was risotto. Because growing up in America, rice is just like pilaf. You know, unless you're coming from the south and it's like Hoppin' John or you get some sort of jambalaya, some sort of thing that's got spice to it, you grow up in New England, it's coming out of a box or it's coming out of a bag or it's Uncle Ben's. So I'm having this amazing rice dish and this waiter is explaining the dish to me and he says, you know, to make a perfect risotto, every single grain of rice should taste exactly like a small little ravioli where it bursts in the inside and it's nice and soft. And I was like, whoa. If this olive-skinned man who smells like Marlboro cigarettes can convince me that I really need risotto in my life, imagine if I could harness this power and bring it back to America and charm women. So I come back and I've, I've got my, my, my you know, risotto uh, you know, recipe that I want to try to figure out how to cook when I get home. And I get back and I land at the airport and only one parent's there to pick me up. And they go, by the way, we don't live together anymore and we're probably going to get a divorce. 
which is not quite the welcome home sign from the terminal E at Logan that you're expecting to get, but that's what we got. And so, you know, teen years are filled with angst regardless. Um, and then you add fuel to the fire and it becomes kind of chaotic. And one of the things that sort of kept me from spiraling out, I did get arrested once, but we'll talk about that at a different time, <laughs> is that uh, I was working at this restaurant in the North End. Uh, it was called Marcuccio's. And some of you might know Chuck Dragie, an amazing chef in this town. Uh, Chuck uh, was able to take a kid who was spiraling out and kind of lost and help redirect that focus. And so during that time that I was there, I would take the train in one day a week and uh, I would come into the city and I would learn from him. And I wanted to figure out a way to learn how to master this dish. And so every week that I was in there, I would tell him this. And I'd be like, I want to learn how to make risotto because I really want to impress girls. And he said, you know, that's the same reason why I got into cooking. And I was like, cool, bro. Like, we got this. But, you know, Marcuccio's was a very interesting restaurant, and, and it was a restaurant that was uh, in the North End. The owner was uh, a mafia guy who uh, had a couple of his buddies killed in the restaurant. And so the ground where basically there was a, once a chalk outline became the place where now a sort of angsty, mad teenage kid was learning how to cook. So it's a great setup right there. And we could go into this for much longer, but then you'll start charging me like my therapist does, so I don't think that that works. <laughs> So once I started to try to taste Chuck's risotto and I wanted to learn how to make his risotto, I was like, okay, I think I'm starting to get this. And I would then try to become a one-trick pony for the next 15 years of my dating life of trying to cook risotto for any girl that I could convince that this was a really romantic, awesome dish because it would take 45 minutes and you needed patience, passion, and you had to stir. So I just kept on trying this over and over and over again. And, you know, my first risotto that I made was awkward. I, I had some risottos where, um, you know, mom came home and interrupted the risotto. Uh, I had risottos where uh, someone else had eaten a lot of risottos and I hadn't made a lot of risottos, so I was like really concerned that I wasn't really getting, you know, the steps right there. My 20s, there was a lot of risotto. And risotto was good. Some risotto was bad. Sometimes risotto was with one person in the morning and with a different person at night. But, you know, as those things kind of tend to go, I found myself in a situation where I was just kept on trying to kind of, I don't know, stick with just one thing that I knew how to do. And I, I realized that I wasn't getting anywhere with that. And I think I finally got to a point where I realized it was time to kind of shake off the person who wanted to cook the best risotto and just keep on doing that same trick over again and it was time to try something different and sort of coinciding with around the same time of opening up you know the restaurant that we have today um, I was ready to kind of hang it up and I was ready to go back to my first love which was the career that I wanted to pursue that had sort of taken the chaos of life and redirected it into something normal and just when I was getting ready to maybe have my memoir read risotto for one for life I ended up meeting someone who was very interesting. And this person uh, came into the restaurant and she was sitting at my bar and I spent a good time busying myself behind the bar trying to pretend like I was, you know, just adjusting the volume of the stereo of the restaurant. And, uh, and I turned around and I looked at her and I smiled and, uh, and she left. And I was like, well, back, back to work, back to work. She came back later on with friends that I had gone to high school with, and uh, they were said, oh, this is, this is our friend, and, and uh, we also know him, and it's like, you guys should hang out. I said, oh, great. And I said, how do you feel about risotto? 
and she said, I'm more of a tasting menu girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, and let me tell you, you know, you can have all the practice, you can have all of the failed attempts, you can have all these things, but that woman's now my wife, mother, my daughter, and it's really nice to have a full plate. Thank you. Thanks for listening. And thank you to our team, producer Rachel Gottbaum and sound engineer and composer Michael Moss of Soundscape Boston. You can find more of our stories at heritageradionetwork.org or by visiting our website, letstalkaboutfood.com or find them on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's Talk About Food is powered by Simplecast. This podcast is supported by the Hunger to Health Collaboratory a cross-sector leadership initiative dedicated to reducing the health consequences of hunger. With generous support from Stop and Shop, Hunger to Health Collaboratory convenes partners across sectors to advocate for health equity and food security. For more information, visit hungertohealthcollaboratory.org. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradio.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. 